Leadership Confessions with Phil Rose from Clarity Leadership. So hi and welcome to the latest episode of Leadership Confessions with me, Phil Rose. When I was looking for leaders to come on my podcast, uh, undoubtedly one of the first names on my list was today's guest, Mr. Ben Osborne. Ben, after graduating from Leeds University, joined Pfizer in 1998, where his career has taken him through a variety of leadership roles, both in the UK and internationally. Most recently, Ben was the Chief Marketing Officer across Europe, Japan, Korea, Australia and New Zealand, where he led the digital transformation of the commercial organisation and innovative partnerships across the sector. He's passionate about organisational culture and purpose to ensure patients benefit from breakthrough innovation and science. Today, he is the UK Country Manager and Managing Director for Pfizer UK, leading the organisation through unprecedented times of opportunity to bring science, data and technology together to transform healthcare. Ben also sits on the ABPI board and represents industry on a number of committees with government and the NHS. Now, I've known Ben personally for about 15 years. He's previously spoken brilliantly at Clarity events, uh, both at the Natural History Museum and at Clarity's 10th anniversary at Wellington Arch in London. I know he's a family man. I also know he's a superb endurance athlete and a very keen Gloucester rugby fan. And I said he was one of the first names on my list, yet this is episode six. But Ben seems to think he's been a little busy recently with some kind of vaccine he's been working on and bringing to market. So, Ben, a very warm welcome. How are you, sir? I'm good and uh, happy new year, Phil. I don't think we've actually spoken uh, so far this year. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really good and pleasure to be with you this afternoon. Uh, good. Look, I'm delighted you're here, mate. Thank you for coming on. And I know you have been inordinately busy over the last, well, a number of months. It would be good just to give our listeners a, a brief overview of your role at Pfizer, please. Yeah, sure. So, uh, as you say, there's been a lot going on recently. Pfizer's probably been in the press uh, almost every day, I think, over the last uh, few months. So most people are probably very familiar with us as a company. We're a global biopharmaceutical company, US-based. I'm the uh, UK Managing Director and Country Manager. Uh, and essentially, it's, uh, it, it's my job and my pleasure to actually lead the two and a half thousand colleagues based here in the UK to deliver our purpose, which is very simple, but very impactful. And that is to deliver breakthroughs that change patients' lives. And I have the pleasure of leading that organisation. Yeah, look, good for you, sir. And I know you've been in that role nearly coming up uh, a couple of years. Today's podcast is all around leadership confessions. And I guess let's start at a, a macro level. When you think of leaders that have inspired you, that you admire, who are they? Uh, but most probably more importantly than who, why would you pick those people? Yeah, I, it's a question I'm, I'm asked really frequently, Phil. And I don't honestly have sort of a number of names that I can say, you know, for for years have inspired me as a leader and I've looked at and and, and learned from. Rather, I, I tend to look at this uh, and answer more from the perspective of, I think there are leaders around me, many of which aren't necessarily famous or household names, actually that I really, really admire and have probably had more impact on me than some of the well-trodden and uh, well-named uh, leaders. The, the people that I really do get inspired by, that I think I've really learned from those, are those who I think genuinely uh, inspire through their clarity of purpose, they bring energy to their vision, um, and, and most importantly, you can see 
their authenticity. You know, what they say is what they do, how they act. That for me is, is what really, really matters. If you're going to push me on 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 who, you know, one one of actually, I think um, the leaders who may be known to many of your uh, your listeners is a guy called Paul Sinton Hewitt. He's actually the founder of Park Run. Having probably a tough time at the moment because they're not actually able to run their uh, their event every Saturday morning. But uh, this guy many years back set up Park Run from one simple site in uh, in Bushy Park in in Teddington. Uh, with a few of his mates because he couldn't run. But he had a vision to really inspire others to to get up, to move, and to build a community uh, in the towns, villages, cities in which they they lived and, and worked. And he's gone on to really deliver against that vision, his purpose. Uh, and there are now hundreds of park runs uh, around the world, and they've just, just done the most incredible things for uh, for human health but also for mental health, uh, you know, particularly through the uh, the last 12 months. And he's a leader who, uh, you know, really, really does inspire me. Yeah, that's a great story. And it's, you know, the park runs are fantastic. So how, how would you describe your leadership style? You may have already answered that in the previous question or your previous answer, but how would you describe your leadership style? Yes, my, my uh, personal purpose, actually, it comes down to three words, and that, that is transform don't tinker. <laughs> uh, I, I'm a huge believer in leading change, not messing around in the in the edges. And I think so many of the leadership challenges that we face nowadays require people to be uh, bold, to have clear vision and to have energy. Uh, and so I think I try um, and bring a sense of fairness, of vision, uh, of trust, and really importantly, of energy to, to everything that I do. Do I manage to do that every day? Uh, I, I'm sure not. But that really is at, at the core of how I uh, how I try to lead, uh, both in my uh, professional life and, and also personally uh, as well. Yeah. Okay. And, and I know that that to be true. And I guess what I'd, I want to get to when when did you come to that? Because you know you that, that wasn't you at 18, I guess. When when's that when's when's that happened? Yeah. So I, I've been on a really interesting journey. So I think early on in in my career, I had the pleasure uh, of Pfizer working with with many, many great leaders. Um, I think early on uh, in my 20s and first managerial roles, I looked at those that I worked for and they were great leaders. And I tried to replicate and mimic what they did, what they said, how they behaved. And to a certain extent, you know, that served me served me well, but it became really tiring. And at times I realized that actually that wasn't me. You know, they were doing things or they were saying things and it, Okay, I could say it and probably say it reasonably credibly, but it wasn't really, really me. Um, and I actually went uh, on a um, uh, a business course. It was uh, actually sorry, Phil. It wasn't one of it wasn't one of yours. It was a business <laughs> school. And um, uh, a guy called Rob Goffey, who's written a paper called "Why Should Anyone Be Led by You," gave us a lecture. And at that moment, it really struck me. Actually, what leadership is all about, and what I need to be all about, is authenticity. And being true to myself and over the months that followed i really really challenged myself to uh, understand who i wanted to be as a leader how i would show up what that would mean for me and the people around me and you know that's almost 10 years ago uh, now uh, and that was that was honestly the defining moment it was probably one of the most defining moments of of my career i would say on you know from a leadership perspective 
And how's that changed you? Uh, do you know what? It, it, it's, it's made me uh, much more comfortable and much more relaxed just being me, you know, and not trying to be others. You know, we can all look at great leaders that we work with day to day, leaders that we see on the sports field, on the TV, the news, etc. Um, learn from them. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and not just those that do it well, but those that perhaps aren't doing it so well uh, as well, I think is really, really important. But when you come to apply it, be really true to yourself and make sure you are really comfortable with how you're showing up as a leader, because you can't fake it. Um, you can maybe get away with it for a short while, but particularly through the really testing, tough times, people will see through it. And, and in my experience, uh, the, the best leaders are those that are most authentic and comfortable in their own skin. And, and so it, it sounds like by having that clarity of purpose uh, personally, you know, as a leader and what you stand for, that's enabled you to be more comfortable as a leader. That's what I'm hearing you say. Am I, am I getting that right? Yes. Yeah. And it's making sure you've got an appropriate level of confidence uh, and humble with that. So what's your been your biggest challenge, would you say, as a leader? Uh, undoubtedly leading the organisation. uh and myself, actually, and through through the through the last twelve months of the the COVID pandemic, yeah, you know, it, everybody there isn't a a person I'm sure almost on the planet that hasn't been touched or impacted in uh, in some way by the by the pandemic. From a personal situation, uh, it, it's meant you know three young children at home uh, trying to be homeschooled by uh, myself and my wife, whilst I've also been leading Pfizer through probably what has been the most important period of our organization in decades and a time when we've been absolutely crystal clear we're going to really show up on a global basis but really importantly here in the uk and make a really meaningful contribution to uh, to, to the pandemic and you know you overlay on top of that all of the restrictions all of the challenges that we're all familiar with it's just been the most challenging 12 months uh, that i think i've i've ever faced uh, and, and you and I spoke through that time, most of it via text messages. And, you know, and I, I saw you on the TV just before Christmas, you know, when when the vaccine was announced. You, you still didn't look a day older. But how did it how did it um, how, how was that moment when you were able to sort of, you know, come to market with the vaccine? For me, it, it just brought huge, huge pride to the work that we've done as a company and the work that our scientists have done over the, uh, the, the last year. You know, ultimately, though, we know we need to be uh, one of many, many vaccines. So, yes, we were first across the line, but we need multiple vaccines uh, to, uh, to follow. But most importantly, what it showed is that we have absolutely delivered on our purpose. And I think yeah. it's very easy as a leader to talk, uh, in fact, to your staff, to your colleagues, um, and indeed externally ab about your purpose. It's quite another thing to really bring it to life and show that in action. And I think pretty much the whole world has seen Pfizer's purpose in action over the uh, over the last year. Yeah, I'm sure you, know, you deservedly pride in what you achieved, everyone on your colleagues in what you've done. What would you say has been your biggest mistake as a leader and what have you learned from it? Yeah, I, I think my biggest mistake is probably what I mentioned earlier on, you know, early early on in my career, 
co copying others um, in terms of, you know, uh, showing up as a, as a leader and, and not being really, really true to, uh, to, to myself. Um, you know, I look back now and just think, OK, yeah, you know, you, you could have done that differently. OK, you know, we, we've all got to learn from this. Uh, thankfully, I had my, uh, my my moment. But but that for me would be the uh, the, the biggest mistake. Any specifics? Um, it's hard to pinpoint. I think it's a style thing. I think there was, a, you know, there was a time when I worked for someone who was actually in incredibly tough in terms of the language that they used, uh, not necessarily the most engaging. Um, and it, it got results at times. But when I look back now, it was probably more through uh, fear, perceived power and others. Uh, and there was a time in working for them that I think that, you know, that flowed down into the, the way I led uh, you right. know, 15 years ago. Um, it, it's not anywhere near how I would uh, would lead now. Um, and sure, you, you, you can get results that way, but you're not going to make people feel good. So, yeah, that, that, that was probably one specific that I would uh, I'd pull out, Phil. Yeah, cool. It sounds like it was inauthentic for you as well, which, which I'm, yeah. No, totally. You know, it genuinely didn't feel comfortable. Yeah. But, it, you know, these things are difficult, aren't they? If you, if you see people getting results with a particular style, and particularly when you've got a very, you know, results-driven uh, sort of world as we live in now, uh, it, it's quite easy to fall into the trap of thinking, well, that worked. So why don't I do that? But, you know, I know you're not afraid of the results. You're not going to shy away from the results. No. So so how do you balance that? You need to be authentic, but but also drive for results as well. For me, it, it, it's, it's, all, it's all about uh, fairness. I think you can set incredibly uh, stretching uh, goals, expectations to help you achieve your, uh, your, your vision. But you've got you've got to be fair to you know colleagues in terms of their their likelihood of of achieving that. You know we we talk about breakthrough goals at, at Pfizer, and we set a breakthrough goal not with the expectation that someone's going to achieve it, but actually the opposite that they're not going to achieve that. But if they get 80 percent of the way there, that is going to be way way better, and it's going to be way better for patients and the customers, the you know the stakeholders who rely on us. And our uh, our medicines than than if we'd set something that actually you know six months previous you knew you, you could do you basically just needed to turn up and you, and you'd be able to do it so for me it's the, it's that fairness and and if someone does fail and, and we all fail regularly uh, we won't necessarily achieve where we wanted to get to learn from it actually celebrate that share it talk about it really openly don't don't try locking it away and and, and hiding it. So is that is that realistic? Are you celebrating failures? We're doing better than we we have done in the past. I still don't think uh, we are quite all as comfortable, myself included. We're talking really openly uh, about failures. I think we still live in a world where actually success really drives a, a lot of what is perceived in terms of good performance. But actually, you know what you know what what I've seen, you know, as I've tried to sort of shape our own culture around this is when you look at you know some of those really entrepreneurial companies who, who we all know and and, and sort of uh, are, f are familiar with they've had massive failures uh, not just in the early days but actually the whole way through their uh, through their journey 
Uh, and that's a part of, of shaping the company and the, the success that they ultimately have, uh, have now had. Absolutely agree. So when are you personally at your best? I think it's when I'm really given the freedom uh, to, to lead. Um, and given, you know, the accountability to look, here's, you know, here, here's the purpose. Here, here's the ambition. Here's the vision. Uh, now you bring that to uh, to life. That's when I'm at my best. It gives me the freedom, the flexibility to to do what you know we need to do here in the in the UK uh, for uh, for our business and our organisation on a global basis. Um, I'm really given that that latitude. Uh, you know, I, I don't like rigid, fixed uh, goals so much in terms of deliver X by when through this. you know, you can can get anyone almost to uh, to bring that to uh, to life for you. Um, I want something that, you know, really allows me to, uh, you know, interpret what's what's needed uh, and then inspire uh, colleagues to bring their best selves to deliver that. So so it's interesting. So it's not if it's not deliver X by Y necessarily. And clearly what what does high performance look like to you? Yeah, for me. I think you've got to separate high performance from success and perhaps always winning. And I think quite often we we think of high performance as, as always winning. You know, that's the, the natural way. But for me, you can have high performance and you you know you can deliver an exceptional performance, but you may not necessarily win. So it, it's about the level of aspiration that's been set. It, it's about the the amount of effort that needs to go into uh, to delivering that. Uh, it's about the learning that you will either as an individual, a team or an organization go on. And ultimately, you know, it, it, it's about celebrating and having fun along the way uh, as, uh, as well. So what what advice would you share for aspiring leaders? Yeah, I, I, I talk um, to our graduates and undergrads about uh, three simple things, uh, results, reputation and, and relationship. Why do I say that? I, I think. You know, if you're going to really progress with an organization, whatever the organization is, big, small or in between, ultimately, it, it is about results and delivering against your purpose. So what are the what are the two or three things that you are really going to deliver um, each year? Not a big, long laundry list. These are going to be big, meaningful things that you will be really proud and excited, energized to talk about things that you'll want to you know, be talking about in your CV, in your interviews, etc. Et Reputation, you know, what is your personal reputation? Not the reputation that you think uh, the company wants you to have or that others want you to have, but what is it that's really true to yourself? What are the two or three, maybe four words that really describe you as an individual? Because they should then guide how you show up every, every day, personally and professionally. And you can really hold yourself to account to, uh, to those three or four words. And then finally, relationships. And I think all too often, and I certainly fell into this trap, you know, as I started my career, you build relationships vertically because you're very conscious that uh, it's often uh, some of the senior leaders who will be uh, looking and hiring in the future. Actually, what I've learned since uh, and over the years is it's much more important to build a really broad network um, of relationships and not just internally within your organization, but externally as well. Where are you going to learn from? Who are the people that you can pick up the phone to to get advice, but also making sure you've got the relationships with people that aren't your sort of family at home because they, they 
they take a lot, I'm sure. But um, who are the relationships where you can pick up the phone when you've had a really bad day and you just want to let off steam? You want to run. You've got to have a couple of individuals, I think, in, you know, uh, in your phone, good mates, typically, who you feel really comfortable with doing that and will support you. Um, because otherwise, the risk is you'll, you'll let off steam in the wrong place, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> and you don't want to do that at, at, at work. So, yeah, that relationships piece is, is absolutely critical. So, so letting off steam, I guess that leads me into, you know, a question is what, what would create that steam? What, what causes the red mist to come down for you? What, what, what rattles your cage? Yeah, I, so I don't often see red mist. I'm, I'm pretty calm. Uh, uh, but when I do, it, it's one of two things. It, it's either uh, someone who's lied. I don't come across that very often. But when I have, it, it just infuriates me and it breaks yeah. all trust. And the second thing is, is laziness. You know, what we do really, really matters. And I, I just don't like, pe you know, people putting anything other than 100, 110% effort in. Now, that effort will be challenged uh, for good reason often at, at times because of other priorities, et cetera. That's fine. Let's have a conversation about it. What, what I hate is people just, you know, thinking, oh, I can probably get away with 50, 60% effort here. That, that, that's not good in my mind. Thank you. I'd like to get an insight and share with the listeners uh, a little bit about uh, Ben outside of work. My wife for Christmas once bought me uh, a lesson with a local running coach who trains world-class athletes. And, and mine was, uh, you know, not a bit of a joke, but it was just like, here you go, here's a, here's a session. But you actually used that coach for real. I, I did. Yeah. Um, yeah. A uh, guy called Shane Benji. I love running. That that You're is a pretty my... good runner, Ben. Come on, let's just uh, help yeah, people. Let's, what would you do a marathon in, approximately? I've done a marathon in two thirty-five. Right, that helps put some people into context. <laughs> so you're a bloody good runner. But yeah, running for me is, well, A, a it's a passion of, since I've been sort of, uh, you know, well, a, very, a youngster, in fact, I was going to say a teenager, even younger than, than that. But it's it, it's how I sort of re-energize weirdly. Uh, and almost, the longer the run gives me more mental energy, um, you know, afterwards, you know. What you know, what I do here at times can be can be tough, it can be challenging, and for me, there's no better end to the day than putting on my running shoes and just hitting the hills, hitting the roads, and and getting out for uh, you know some time alone. Uh, I've got three three young kids, um, uh, which you know brings uh, their own uh, unique challenges, <laughs> uh, joy, excitement. But I think uh, you know well, Phil. You know my eldest has uh, a very rare form of epilepsy. Uh, He's got severe special needs. So whilst he's 13, he's actually only got a mental age of three. And, and that and, you know, living and supporting George you know, with my wife, Nicola, has probably shaped me more than I ever, ever imagined uh, having children would. Um, and it's really taught me to really value what truly matters in, in life um, and just the fragility of, of health. You know, when I, when we um, knew we were having uh, uh, George, um, you know, we had this rosy picture of what the future was going to be like. Little did I imagine within a year he'd be uh, bouncing in and out of hospital uh, in the back of an ambulance with uh, epileptic fits 30, 40 times a day. So, yeah, that, that, that has shaped me significantly. And, it, and it's, you know, as it should be, is a huge part of what I do, you know, uh, outside of work um, in terms of trying to... Uh, support others with epilepsy as well. 
Well, I know, you know, when you've spoken at our events in the past, you spoke eloquently about the impact that, that George has on your family, but it's so much in a positive way. So how professionally or personally, how have you overcome your biggest setbacks? Yeah, um, well, maybe we talk about, you know, the, the setback of, you know, what happened with, with George when he was one, when we realised this was, was really severe epilepsy. We decided right at the start, Nicola and I, that actually we can have a positive approach to this or we can just dwell in you know negative emotions, feel sorry for ourselves and all the rest of it. But actually, you know, that's not going to serve as well. So uh, for me, it comes down to, to a couple of things. One is try and see the glass as being half full. Take that positive attitude, because invariably, despite how you know, frankly crap some things can be, there are positives in, in the majority of, of situations. When you're in these situations, um, whether it's work or home, you know, try and control what you can and not forget about everything else because you you know it's very easy to say that it's much more difficult to do but try not to let it take up too much uh sort of mental brain space and time and then i think really really importantly talk uh and i think that's been a huge thing for us with uh with, with george over the uh, over the last 13 years is just talking to friends and family and be really honest about how it's impacting the days when it's it's really really challenging um, and I don't shy away from that. Um, I'm, I'm just very open and honest because we can get the support and others can support us that we we really need then. Uh, and I think that goes through to to the workplace as well. You know, everyone will face challenges on a, on a, on a frequent basis. They are much better dealt with in an open, transparent uh, way. Uh, and people can help uh, if if you talk openly about it. But they can't if they uh, if they can't get under the skin of what's going on. How how's Pfizer supported you through all of this? Oh, I mean, in, incredibly. It's I think it's reasonably well known. Uh, but at the time that we got George's diagnosis, actually, we were due to move to to Berlin. Uh, I'd been given a role, uh, and we we had everything set up. We were going to move, and I decided one weekend with with my wife, with Nicola, we can't do this. This is this is too much to deal with. Uh, and I went into the office on the Monday morning and actually bumped into the guy that was doing my job uh, right now um, that I do now, a guy called John Young. And I said, John, I'm really sorry, I, I can't take the job. Um, and I explained and he said, don't worry, leave it with me. Um, I'll come back to you. And within a day, the organization had come back. And this is way before Zoom and Teams and all the virtual <laughs> working. And they said, we really want you to do the job. We think you're the right person to do it. Um, so you can do that job from the UK for as long as you need to. And if that's on a permanent basis, then so be it. Um, we, and we know you, will will make that uh, that work. Uh, and it was the first time, actually, that Pfizer set up a, a, a virtual sort of remote uh, team uh, across uh, across Europe. Uh, and the support, you know, uh, didn't falter from, from there. We, you know, through all the tough times, they've always said, look, your, your family, your family come first. You take the time that you uh, you need. Um, they know I will always give back. Um, so yeah, it's been unwavering. Oh, that's superb to hear. And and you and I both know that uh, John Young's an exceptional leader in, in his own right. You've been at Pfizer for twenty three years, Ben. What what does the future hold for you? Do you know? For for me, I, I try not to now uh, think about uh, in too much detail, sort of 
next roles and jobs because it, it it becomes pressured, it becomes a stress for you. And I think it detracts from what you're actually trying to do day to day. I know that both Pfizer and the wider life science sector uh, is where I want to, to be for, for my career. There has never been genuinely a more exciting time uh, for, uh, for life sciences and for health. We've seen that through the last uh, 12 months. So the, the future for me is making sure that in whatever I do, I, I'm really uh, given the opportunity to, uh, to bring my own personal pu uh, purpose uh, of Transform Not Tinker to, uh, to life. Um, so I will, I basically want to do roles and jobs that are going to allow that to, uh, to, uh, to, to happen over the, uh, the years ahead. So on that point, I do love your purpose. What's one of the you know, sort of notable transformations that you'd say you've made in your own life? Oh, in my, my own life, um, uh, I, you know, historically, um, used to think that, you know, the, the more, uh, I was sort of working, the more successful, uh, I would, uh, I would be, and, and probably at times to the detriment of, you know, what was going on around me at, at home, uh, and, and family, you know, as much as I was, you know, trying to support George, we got, you know, two other children as well. I'm now very, very consciously making sure that, um, I'm taking the time uh, out through the day, not just because of, of homeschooling, actually, but much more than uh, than that, to really make sure I'm there for my, my for my family and not in that situation where I'm sat in the in the lounge or playing games and I've got the iPhone, you know, one eye on that and one eye on trying to play whatever, you know, the kids are playing dominoes or chess or something like that. When I'm present, I'm really, really present. And I think it's relatively subtle, but it's really, really significant. Um, and I feel much happier for it. And I, and I know it's it's better for the family uh, as well. In the past, I've probably tried to do too many things together. Uh, and I know people say, oh, yeah, you can multitask. I, I'm just not so sure the concept of multitasking actually plays out well in the end. I wholeheartedly agree with you. Uh, and what's interesting is just listening to the, how you responded. If you, you know, if you're sort of saying it might feel like a small thing, but it's significant, it will be significant. And that that being present will be massive for your children. Uh, good on you, sir. A couple of quick fire questions. What, what's your what's your guilty pleasure? Oh, I feel a bit embarrassing about this, but you, 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 <laughs> I um, my wife absolutely ribs me for this, as do my uh, my kids. Um. I love a Scotch egg, Phil. Uh, <laughs> not just any old Scotch egg. I have to take a Scotch egg. I've got to cut it in half, take the egg out, put a little dollop of tomato ketchup in, and then put the egg back in and eat it. And my kids think it's absolutely revolting. <laughs> it is just heaven. <laughs> that's that's superb. So you cut the, the Scotch egg in half, dollop of ketchup on on the yolk, is it, or something? Oh no, you've got to take that. You've got to take the egg out. Put the ketchup in the in the sausage meat and then drop the egg back in. Oh, right. Oh, it's heaven. Oh, fabulous. Uh, uh, what makes you smile, mate? Uh, no, I, I smile a lot. I try to smile a lot. My kids make me smile. Uh, they really, they genuinely do. Mountains, huge passion of mine. I, I'm uh, huge energy when I'm in the mountains, and I and I love just sort of taking the time to watch. Uh, and then, honestly. Right now, um, outside of the uh, the restrictions, what would make me smile is a pint in the pub with my mates. Um, it's what I'm really looking forward to when we're through all of this pandemic. 
Uh, look, yeah, me and you both. That's, uh, look, Ben, thank you for coming on today. Uh, look, firstly, thank you for all the work you and your colleagues are doing at Pfizer. You know, uh, I can't speak uh, on, on behalf of everyone, but I'm sure everyone wishes you the best of luck in in, in what you're doing there. It's an oh, awesome. Thanks. Yeah, you know, and also thank you for coming on and just being you, as I'd expect you to be, uh, um, uh, working with you, uh, working alongside you. Uh, over the last 10 years, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I know when we're together, sometimes we need to focus on the work and not looking at one another's pictures of mountains. But it's, <laughs> <Exactly>. uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's always been great fun. And I, uh, as you know, I admire what you do immensely, not just, you know, the way in which you go about it, but who you are and, and, and how you do things. So uh, I appreciate you coming on today. And I'm, and I'm sure I speak for everyone. And I bet they've really thoroughly enjoyed listening to today's podcast. Ben, thank you. Oh, thank you, Phil. That's very kind of you. Really enjoyed it. Leadership Confessions from Clarity Leadership. Email hello at clarityleadership.co.uk and subscribe to receive every episode as it's released.